Hey, how's it going, everybody? You're listening to another episode of the Super Mercado Brothers Video Game Music Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. This is the podcast where we share and discuss the very best in video game music. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. Uh, this is another season premiere episode, and usually for these types of episodes, we, we try to do something a bit different. Typically, we've done yeah. more editorial style things, but uh, generally, these are just episodes where we try to have a different way of organizing the music that we're talking about. Or thinking framing of it, it, yeah. Yeah, in a context that... Um, um, we might not always think about. And I think we have a really exciting theme today, which is launch games. Every game yeah. that we're going to be playing t- today, uh, music from, is something that was a launch title for a given console from all the different console generations. We'll say we'll say system because we're even including some handhelds as well. Um, but yeah, so all of that's correct. All of the games we're featuring were launch titles of some system. And it was Will's idea that we actually don't have a chronological playlist today so it's going to be kind of fun to go back and forth in history uh, to a bunch of different launch titles and maybe we can find some common ground or or find you know how how these what maybe why these games and scores are are many times so beloved when i was looking through a lot of the launch titles i mean some of the most beloved video games ever were launch titles (laughs) yeah i mean i think something interesting about video games in the way that they're Um, release schedule is maybe different from other media, uh, particularly film, is uh, oftentimes with movies, we think of the season, the time of year that it's released. So there's there's kind of a difference in tone between a summer movie and a winter release. And those things have changed over the years and over the decades. Um, But video games are interesting because for the most part in, um, you know, home commercial game history, uh, that games have to accompany a console of some sort. Obviously, there's PC gamers, but even then, you need a piece of hardware to play the game on. Right. So um, different console generations have their own sort of internal life cycle in terms of when games are released. So uh, mm-hmm. it's it really uh, oftentimes, you know, console manufacturers and publishers try to have a really strong release window so they want to plan when they're launching a console along when they can have a slew of really impressive and exciting titles that can show off what that particular hardware is capable of that's true and today it'll be interesting to maybe judge what are some of the best uh, launches when it comes to music and maybe at the end of the day we'll be able to decide what is our favorite launch I also think what's going to be interesting is inherently since these are all launch games it means that in the event that there's any chip music or console limitations that are affecting the sound and the music side of things mm-hmm. that that means that um, these are games where quite frankly the composers and sound engineers have had the least amount of time to learn the tools so for instance something yeah. like Super Mario 64 this was Koji Kondo's first um, outing on the Nintendo 64 hardware and you could say the same about um, any of the uh, launch titles breaking new doing. ground for sure 
Well, what you guys heard playing in, we'll hear a little bit of it. We'll fade it up again here. Um, that was Wrecking Crew, the stage theme composed by Hirokazu Hip Tanaka, one of the launch titles of the NES. And we're going to go back later today and play another NES launch title. We have two on the playlist today. Um, so one thing is there's a lot of great launch titles on some classic systems. We're not playing every single launch game because I wanted to have a diverse playlist. Um, and so, yeah, there's going to be, for example, some NES launch games we're not including today. But what a, what a cute and fun and plucky early NES piece that was. I love that that one. What I think is fascinating about the sort of first tier of especially first party Nintendo games that came out for the NES is they were almost like toys. There was like yeah. this really cute accessible quality to all of them. It really was the next evolution of the Atari 2600 that games were small. They weren't these elaborate experiences that you were expected to, you know, well, one thing, have hour long multiple hours. They they, yeah. they were very simple almost early arcade style experiences Easy and what to i find digest. so fascinating the, yeah the music uh, particularly by the nintendo composers the early nintendo composers all had this sort of similar energy similar vein similar style whether it was you know hip tanaka or um akito nakatsuka yeah akito nakatsuka or even koji kondo um, a lot of the early NES composers that worked for Nintendo had this very plucky, light, innocent, almost elevator music quality that I think was meant to capture all the games. And even the way they were branded, like, you know, whether you were playing Duck Hunt or Wrecking Crew or Balloon Well, fight one thing that I or... noticed, and I already knew this, but going back and listening to all the uh, launch games for the NES, is almost all of them were incredibly simple and bare bones for the music. I mean, actually, Wrecking right. Crew is... It's not complex, but compared to other titles like Clue Clue Land or some of the sports games, uh, it's a little bit more in-depth. And obviously, Super Mario Bros. was by far the most complex musically yeah. uh, uh, launch title. So let's move on. In history, we're going to move forward to a Super Nintendo launch game, Pilot Wings. And this series is, is going to be actually interesting today. We're going to be able to take a listen to multiple different iterations of this series pilot wings was a classic launch series for nintendo so yeah pilot wings was one of the super nintendo launch games composed by soyo oka let's take a listen to a track i don't think we've played uh necessarily on the podcast so i thought it'd be fun to change things up this is hang glider
So yes, Hang Glider from Pilot Wings, one of the SNES launch games, and Soyooka had a really big imprint on what other composers were eventually to do with this system. I mean, a lot of people were listening to this music and what she got out of these samples uh, and just the tone and the vibe of the score. Very influential. Koji Kondo was collaborating with her. I believe he did sound effects and I think he contributed one piece of music. Um, but yeah, this it is crazy going back and thinking of Pilot Wings as a launch game. This is great. Definitely. And I think it's uh, it's a great series. I think the reason why Nintendo has often launched consoles with pilot wings is because it's a essentially it's a simulation game. And I think yeah. in every instance that there's been a pilot wings game. It can show off uh, the hardware. Yeah, it's about showing off what makes that console unique and I think it's no um, accident that you know the one of the things they wanted to show off about the Super Nintendo was the ability to have this kind of um, quasi 3d environments the kinds of you know rotating backgrounds and everything that made games like Mario Kart or even you know Super Castlevania 4 that idea of the background um, is movable is something that you never really got. Yeah, that scaling. I mean, it's something that when you go back and look at it now, you might kind of laugh at it and think of it, oh, it's so primitive. But you have to think about it in the context of the NES. Jumping from that to this, it was mind-blowing for the time. And luckily for the music, I mean, the series is so relaxing and pleasing. Yeah. All the soundtracks in the series are outstanding. I also think this is a type of game that really never would have existed on the NES. And I think Soyo Oka's soundtrack is indicative of this type of game that it's not yeah. combat based it's not action oriented it's so relaxing and even if we if we look at the the general tone of kind of where the Nintendo status quo was I think that Wrecking Crew track we played is very indicative of it was light it was plucky it was innocent mm -hmm. it was childlike and here when we get to Pilot Wings I do think this is actually indicative of the style of a lot of Nintendo games on the Super Nintendo like SimCity uh, Super Mario Kart, a lot of the things Soya Oka and Koji Kondo worked on, um, but that there is this sort of jazzy, easy listening, more relaxed sound to it. And I think something that I so love about this track is the use of almost major sevenths on every chord. It has this sort of mixolydian yeah. chord progression between the one in the flat seven, and then it does that flat six, flat seven, one progression that we've talked about before but yet every one of those chords is a full major seventh chord which has yeah. this really beautiful there's this brightness to it because each one of those chords has is almost its own island um, in and of itself <laughs> Yeah, so the SNES saw in North America five launch titles, and they're all incredible. And musically, every single one of them is an absolute hit. Uh, today, we're just playing two different SNES launch titles, again, to add some variety and diversity. But don't worry, we'll go back to this system. Let's now jump ahead into the future. This is an interesting uh, playlist here, the order. We're going to go to the Dreamcast, and one of the launch titles that that system saw, very exciting system. I, I was so excited. I remember I was in a mall in 1999, and I remember seeing the Dreamcast set up and someone playing this game, Sonic Adventure, and being absolutely blown away. Let's take a listen to Emerald Coast, composed by Jun Senoue from Sonic Adventure.
This is Emerald Coast from Sonic Adventure by the wonderful Jun Senoue. Some really interesting choices uh, on this. It feels like classic Sonic. I love the melody, love the composition. It was interesting to go for that sitar-esque lead instrument. Um, It feels right, but it wouldn't have been a choice that I would have ever thought of. Right. Uh, And I think it it was the right choice. But yes, uh, does a really good job, just like the game does, of showing off this new console. I mean, this sounds amazing. The production, you have some some real instruments. Everything sounds uh, really good, and especially for the time, really cutting edge. And I think it did represent where Sonic currently was uh, for that generation. I also think that this whole first level, musically, in terms of the actual the design of the course, it's on. The, in my opinion, it's like the only thing in Sonic Adventure that fulfills the promise of the next generation of Sonic. That sure. it's like when you're running through this, it feels like oh it's my gosh, euphoric. I'm playing Sonic in 3D. And to me, yeah. I I think Sonic Adventure is a really good game, but a lot of the level design is quite different, and it, it um, mm-hmm. so much of what the game is about is not really what any of the other Sonic games were about. And the music definitely, as we've talked about before goes in new directions. I yeah, think this is this one of, music of the is, tracks where it feels like it has something in common with the older generation. It does feel classic. And I mean, there's even certain nods to pieces from the series past, like da 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 You know, there's yeah. little, these kind of melodic figurations that feel like they're hinting at Masato Nakamura and things like that. This is the only Sonic title on the playlist today. There actually are not a lot of Sonic games that were ever launch titles. Um... So, which for me was a little surprising. I had to scratch my head to realize that. Um, and then I was like, oh, yeah, that is correct. But then you think about like Genesis all the classic Sonic games were Genesis games. <laughs> right, And right. Th- that was not a launch for mm-hmm. that. Um, well, let's move from a Sonic game to a Mario game. And let's talk about the Game Boy. This was a launch title for the Game Boy. It's Super Mario Land, composed by classic launch and Nintendo composer Hirokazu Hiptanaka again. Let's take a listen to the overworld from Super Mario Land. You guys are listening to The Overworld from Super Mario Land. It's such an interesting change of pace to uh, the music we get from Koji Kondo on what we had had heard on the console Mario game. So it's, it's interesting uh, to hear <laughs> Hiptanaka's uh, take on, I guess, mobile or handheld Mario music. So there's some other good um, Game Boy launch games that had some pretty iconic music, one of which we don't have time today, but we got to give a shout out to Tetris. Obviously, mm-hmm. that iconic Russian folk melody, one of the most popular melodies in, in video games. So that was another Game Boy launch title but this one was probably maybe the most beloved yeah i we've talked a lot before about uh hirakazu tanaka and what a great composer he is and what a unique sort of mind um i think he really is hugely responsible for a lot of the imagination and the kind of experimental quality of so much early nintendo music and i think that particular brand of 
quirkiness of balancing predictability with something unexpected is largely credit to him. I will say I don't think Super Mario Land is one of his better soundtracks because I feel like he's mm. a little bit restrained and it possibly could have been in his own mind, but it, I feel yeah. like the sense he's too much trying to... I don't know. He's almost limiting himself and saying, oh, this is a Super Mario game, so it needs to sound like X. It needs to sound in a certain way. And the way he's making this sort of swung, melodic piece of music, it, it feels like sort of a pale imitation of what <laughs> Koji Kondo does. And my yeah. favorite music in Super Mario Land is just stuff that sounds like Hip Tanaka, like the stuff that's not even trying to be like Mario. I really love the end credits theme, that sort of spacey, melody i really love that i like some of his darker stuff um but in general this piece of music has always felt a little disingenuous to me it feels like it's sort of taking the original uh, yeah, super mario brothers saying. language as a starting point and it doesn't feel as genuine as like what kazumi tataka For a did game in the Boy? sequel Mario game, I think it works really well. And if you think about the the overall tone and style of Super Mario Land, it fits right. incredibly well. Yeah, it's um, sort so, of like this bizarre dream alternate reality version of Super Mario. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Um, so another thing that we could have done today, if we wanted to include the Famicom disc system, <laughs> that could have had an absolutely legendary, I guess, launch game with Zelda, the first Zelda. So that would have been something we could have done. Again, there's, there's a lot of stuff. Um, it was interesting to go through some of the lesser known consoles and to see, oh, what were their launch windows like when it comes to the music? Uh, one of them that I looked at was the TurboGrafx-16. Um, some pretty good launch games, but music, uh, musically, n not really much to, to talk about, in my opinion. Let's move on, uh, jumping into the future from the Game Boy, at least, to 1996 with the launch of the N64 and Super Mario 64. I think there was only maybe two launch games in North America for the 64, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe actually three. I think there was two pretty well-known ones. Uh, we are playing tracks from both of those today, as well as I think there was um, a more obscure one that I wasn't familiar with. So this is Super Mario 64 composed by Koji Kondo. Let's see how the series has progressed from <laughs> Super Mario Land to Super Mario 64. This is bob -omb Battlefield.
guys listening to Bob on Battlefield is such a funky tune. This is by Koji Kondo, and I know it's silly going from Mario Land. <laughs> um, there is going to be another main series, uh, main line Mario game later in the episode. Don't worry. However, uh, this this is a fun change of pace. I love the, I guess I would say the mixing and production of this N64 tune. I mean, yeah. the samples that Koji Kondo went with on this, to me, are so nostalgic and iconic. I love how funky the drums are. It's this really kind of 70s dry right. you know, sound. Obviously, they're kind of these crappy samples. I love how one cool thing is he has the hi-hat, you guys might notice, completely hard panned to the right. Which, I don't know, it, it kind of works for me. With the guitar on right. the left, it really adds a, a funkiness to this Yeah, there's this a track. really nice stereoscopic feel. But in general, <laughs> all the instruments that he chooses in Mario 64... They're just charming, aren't are they? ...are so great and really play to the, I think, slightly more eclectic palette of this game than the previous Mario titles. And I know that's something that when he went from 8 to 16-bit, that was an important lesson that he sort of learned about the eclectic instrumentation. But I feel like when we get to Mario 64, Koji goes even further into different styles and genres and evoking world music and evoking all these different things. Yeah, I mean, if if you compare this to the overworld themes of the previous games, it's definitely... A new generation's Mario theme. Yeah. I mean, I love how he's going for this funk big band sound. I mean, there's something a little right. bit more grown up about it. Well, and also I think it plays really well. And something that Kondo Sun is just an expert at is just almost finding the right tempo, finding the right rhythmic style to accompany the gameplay in the most natural way. The groove of this tune is so perfect for the style of gameplay in Super Mario 64 that it's this yeah, big a little bit open more sandbox out. world. It's less about running and gunning and jumping and grabbing there's just coins. There's slower pace to it, yeah. Yeah, and there's a more kind of, um, there's that there isn't that same time element. There isn't that same linear direction to it that there's just a sense of joy of I think one of the around. reasons one of the many reasons why Mario 64 is such a incredibly successful game is you start you you know you jump into Bob on Battlefield and it's just a good time it's not stressful right. it's a little bit laid back in this music really helps a lot yeah i i i can't say enough about how stellar the music is for Super Mario 64 and i think just as a game I think it's the best Nintendo 64 game, and it holds up in a way that no other title... I mean, I love Ocarina of Time, but when you compare Ocarina to later Zeldas, I feel like they've actually improved upon yeah, it things is where like Mario crazy. 64 is just perfect. It's like it, it, it holds it up feels, as well as it ever has. Well, it's a, it's still crazy to me how polished it feels when you play the game. It just feels yeah. very confident and polished. Totally. Uh, let's move on. Uh, again, we're going to the future. Let's go to the launch of the PS3. Um, similar to the PS2, it saw a very impressive launch lineup. Just if you're talking about games, a nice variety of different games, um, probably something for everyone. Now, musically, uh, it wasn't necessarily the strongest lineup, and I felt that same way about the PS2, to be honest. Um, but there was one game uh, that had a, had a very nice soundtrack. This is Call of Duty 3. And it was composed by Joel Goldsmith, uh, the son of legendary composer Jerry Goldsmith. Goldsmith. And it's actually sad. Uh, Joel also passed away, um, uh, not honestly, not long after his father. 
So that's that was that was definitely that's sad. Crazy. But he he composed a great score here. Let's take a listen to the main title from Call of Duty Three for the PS3. Well, this is a nice change of pace for the playlist. Um, I told you that I wanted to make it as diverse as I could, right? This is the main title from Call of Duty 3. Uh, this was a launch game for the PS3, and it was composed by Joel Goldsmith. And it's a really effective theme. Um, it definitely has the militaristic war vibes going on throughout it, but I think it's a really positive and... and um, uplifting melody and i think he did a really good job with this whole score what i think is so interesting is you have joel goldsmith the son of legendary film composer jerry goldsmith Mm -hmm. writing a heroic militaristic theme that's very much in a style that his father was kind of a progenitor of i mean yeah if I think of so many great kind of 90s films that Jerry worked on with this kind of, you know, triumphant score, it is yeah. interesting that they have his son who's not only a composer, but is being asked to write in this very filmic style that um, many people would associate with Jerry Goldsmith. Even if you didn't look at the composer name here, when you listen yeah. to a piece of music like this, I think a lot of people would think like, oh, this reminds me of kind of like a Jerry Goldsmith score from the 90s. Yeah, it was it was so interesting when I was listening to all this launch music from different consoles. And when it comes to just the amount of games and the variety of games, there's no doubt that the Sony consoles, and particularly PS2 and PS3, absolutely blew every other system out of the water when it came to their launch lineup. It was mm-hmm. insane. It, they had way more games than anyone else did. And a lot of the games, you know, were, were pretty popular games that I think were pretty good. But it's interesting that didn't always translate to great soundtracks. I mean, Nintendo consoles, they might have had less games, but it seemed like some of the the, the music in those games were maybe a little bit more strong. Well, I think it shows you Nintendo's philosophy. I mean, I think they've always been a little bit more of like an exclusive club. Like they really seem to thrive on the success of their first party titles. And even if you go back Mm -hmm. to the NES, like the level of restrictions that they put on third party developers of how many games they were allowed to publish a year and stuff. They were so controlling of their platform because I think they always wanted their success to rely on their strong first-party IP. And a big Mm -hmm. part of when you talk about Nintendo music, it's like talking about Disney. You can't talk about it without (laughs) the music. The music is such an intrinsic part 
of those games where I think um, what's so great about the Sony consoles is they're usually mad powerhouses, really solid consoles. In the case of the PS3, that was definitely so. In the PS2, just a really great platform for people to develop on. And it saw and so many so, great so many titles. Games. And so I feel, I feel like, you know, Sony and Microsoft succeed based on the merits of how many great games are on the platform where Nintendo yeah. consoles almost seem to succeed because of Nintendo whether it's some wacky yeah. idea that they have of how to approach video games or just great exclusive original first party titles so you guys will notice that there are more Nintendo tracks on this playlist than any other company and it wasn't really even intentional I listened I will say I listened to music from every single systems launch lineup uh, in a lot of them didn't make the cut today uh, we will have a Microsoft system later on don't worry about that but we're gonna go back to more Nintendo in the meantime and let's talk about the Wii this is a launch title for the Wii. It is The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess, and a great example of what Will was just talking about, Nintendo's priorities here. An incredibly strong soundtrack. One of the strongest launch soundtracks ever. Twilight Princess is my personal favorite Zelda game. I think mm -hmm. it's so strong. I love the writing. I love the expansive world. I love everything about it, and the soundtrack. I mean... I it's just incredible. think Toru Minigishi, Asuka Oda, and Koji Kondo's, I think, one or two small contributions are so freaking fantastic. And um, Minigishi especially just carries the torch of what Koji established um, I agree. for this well, series. Let's, let's play a fun little arrangement of a melody that uh, we've definitely played before in the podcast, but this is a nice little take on it. This is Kakariko is Saved. I like this version. This is composed by Toru Minigishi and Asuka Oda from Twilight Princess. such a beautiful track um, happy to play this version I don't believe we played this particular version on our Twilight episode so it's fun um, to give this version some love I know Will on that episode I think you mentioned this version saying that you really like this version as well 
But yeah, it's such a strong launch score. I mean, going through all this music, there's a lot of music I heard that was great, a lot of music I heard that was not so great, and then when I get to this, I'm like, wow. I mean, this is one of the heavy hitters for sure. Yeah, no kidding. I can't say enough about how brilliant the Twilight Princess score is. It's thematic, all the motifs that make it feel like a film score, but it's just chock full of incredibly beautiful, potent melodies that are up there. I mean, they're among some of the greatest pieces of music in the Nintendo canon, and they're so in the style that Kondo established. Oh my god, they fit like a glove. We, we also have, it's so lucky and fortunate that this happened to be a launch game. It was really good timing. I mean, to get a Zelda game as a launch game was so exciting right. and so rare, and they absolutely knocked it out of the well, park. Well, also, it's like the first time anybody saw the Wii remote, I mean, I think the first thing all of us were thinking of was swinging a sword around. And the fact that the launch game lets you, you know, be Link and swing a sword around, it it was Mm -hmm. really a great proof of concept for how fun that gameplay could be. And the, you know, getting to use the pointer to use the bow and arrow. And I don't know, I I just, I can't say enough about how great I think Twilight Princess is. And I think it really holds up. What an awesome era for the series because you get two mainline games on the and same And it just console. has such a beautiful aesthetic too. Um, it's such yeah. a beautiful looking game that it was also a great choice for a launch title because one thing that was contentious was the fact that the Wii's hardware was not mm-hmm. really a step up from the GameCube. I mean, it allowed for yeah. 16 by 9 progressive scan modes. It wasn't just a square box, but it wasn't HD. And in terms of processing power, it was really no different than the GameCube. Um, And so I know that was something that a lot of Nintendo fans were disappointed about. But I think um, it was such a smart decision in retrospect because the GameCube, and I know this game came out at the tail end of the GameCube as well, but the GameCube Zelda in Wind Waker had this cel-shaded look. It also looks beautiful. But this is sort of a return to a more, an attempt at like a photorealistic Zelda. And yeah. so I think it was the the timing was perfect because this does it feel was. like the next generation of Zelda even if the hardware specs aren't technically better. It's a beautiful looking game. Well, again, in Nintendo fashion, um, not having the best hardware, but being able to use it in creative ways. Right. Um, and it's just to, like to the give music. you a product that it's feels like This music satisfying. is great because of a lot of ingenuity and great substance. These not melodies are strong. Like the, the music is the real very well composed and well arranged. But yeah, it's not because they had a huge budget and they have a great sounding orchestra and they can lean into the great musicians. Yep. It's strong because the music is potent and memorable. Well, let's go back to the NES, and let's play another NES launch title. Let's play something from Super Mario Brothers. Let's try the let's try the underwater theme today as a nice change of pace. Let's take a listen to this, composed by Koji Kondo from Super Mario Brothers. playing this track today in the context 
of a launch title and comparing it maybe to what we heard playing in the episode, that stage theme from Wrecking Crew, and for me listening to a lot of other NES launch games such as Clue Clue Land, even some other Tanaka scores like Gyromite, listening to this, it has something in common. Um, it, it's definitely... Uh, a simple piece of music if you think about how short it is but for me there's there's a lot more depth to this composition than Certainly. any I mean, it's of very, the other NES launch it's games. It's very musically rich. This sounds like a piece of classical music where yeah. the Wrecking Crew theme sounds like something you'd hear in an elevator um, mm-hmm. and not to say that it, it, that's not even an indication of quality but I feel like what Super Mario Brothers goes for is something fuller much more cinematic and I mean the game itself it really especially at the time it was like playing a movie that in this game you're rescuing a princess from a bad guy but it's going to take the yeah, I mean, whole it's been experience said by many people but uh, Super Mario Brothers could be considered the most revolutionary video game ever made right and so just to talk about so much has been said about all this score but this underwater theme is the first piece of music that Koji Kondo completed for the game and just to talk again about his brilliant instincts for tempo rhythm and matching on it like innate animal level the experience of playing the game the sort of balletic quality of how mario moves in the water that as you tap the button he floats up and bounces it's a really interesting yeah. mechanic for swimming different than i think what a, a lot of other game designers would have come up with and so i think kondo uses this sort of fast three four to emphasize that there's like a dancey quality of well will you know something that i get when i listen to this track it's so good and it matches experience so well that it feels like sound effects it feels like right. you hear mario and you see Mario just by listening to this theme. There's so many brilliant things that Kondo does. Uh, first of all, and something that makes it distinct from like that Wrecking Crew theme, I mean, these long, almost string-like legato lines. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful harmonies. As opposed to sort of that plucky, intentionally digital sound. I feel like he's trying to evoke an orchestra. A lot mm-hmm. of it with the chromaticism and counterpoint. Something I love, though, if you listen to what the Triangle Channel is doing, it's evoking multiple groups of the orchestra at the same time if you think of the way a typical waltz would be orchestrated you might have like tubas contrabasses and cellos doing yump 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 and then maybe you'd have like the french horns or woodwinds going but you know Kondo-san doesn't have that at his disposal so he has this really active and nimble bass line that hits every one of the beats well i don't know about you will but the bass line represents mario and his movements to me Oh, definitely. I also love uh, the the baseline is so well composed that in certain moments it implies this almost barbershop kind of uh, four or five um, voice chord, even just with the mm-hmm. three pitches, because the way that the melody is mostly harmonized in sixths. So when that goes down chromatically and the baseline is like in an inversion going down chromatically, it makes right. it feel like this much richer harmonic palette than if it were just playing root notes. Oh, man, it's just so cutting edge when you think of it as an NES launch game. All right, let's move on and let's go to the Sega Genesis. I will say that musically, this was not the strongest uh, lineup, not the strongest launch window. There were some good games, uh, some beloved games that were launch games for the Genesis, one of which uh, we're not playing anything from it today, um, but it was Altered Beast, which I considered. Uh, We are going to play a track from another launch game for the Genesis. This is Alex Kidd in the Enchanted Castle. 
this is a nice, cute soundtrack. It's nothing too cutting edge, but um, I, I enjoy it. Let's play a track called Desert. We've never played this before. This is composed by Chikako Kamatani. cute piece of music this is from alex kidd in the enchanted castle platform game originally came out in 89 in japan 90 north america for the most part today we're considering these uh for north america north american launch windows i should say so composed by chicago kamatani um this is desert and uh it's interesting this is not necessarily the tone and the direction that you expect to hear for sega genesis games it was not necessarily continued for a lot of later genesis games was it right this sounds like something that you would hear on like the turbo graphics or even right i don't know a, a handheld like a game boy game or something uh, yeah. you can tell that these um composers and sound designers are a little bit less familiar with some of this uh well FM. i find it interesting um, a lot of these launch games for the Genesis, musically, the direction doesn't remind me of a lot of later Genesis games and even how they're using the hardware. I noticed that also with Altered Beast. I did consider playing a track from it, but I, I, I you know, at the end of the day, that was, I believe, an arcade game originally. And so I thought this was a better choice. But yeah, if you listen to those early Genesis games, they, they sound very different. When we think of the Genesis, though, a lot of us, especially growing up in North America... Um, Sega of America and their marketing plays a big role into sort of the cultural perception of the Genesis, which is cool and sexy and, you know, mm -hmm. more hip than what Nintendo was doing. But when the Mega Drive first came in Japan, I don't think it necessarily was even aiming for some of those same connotations. So I do think it took yeah. a while for some of the cool, trendier games with the more rock or edgier soundtracks it absolutely to come did. out. I mean, it did come out, uh, the launch was before the Super Nintendo, and so that makes sense too. But yeah, if you compare the launch windows between those two platforms, there's absolutely no contest. It's, it's pretty interesting. All right, let's move on to another Sega launch game. This is the Sega Saturn, and one of the launch titles that system saw was Panzer Dragoon. A great game, great soundtrack. This track was composed by Yashitaka Azuma, it's flight.
beautiful piece of music, a classic for me. This is Flight from Panzer Dragoon. Composer of this game was Yoshitaka Azuma. This is a launch game for the Saturn. Uh, It was a dragon rail shooting game. Beautiful game. Maybe the most beloved launch game for the Saturn. And the soundtrack did not have this sound throughout. This was one of the very few tracks that actually was able to be orchestrated and recorded. They only had the budget for a very little bit of this. Most of it was was sequence stuff. But um, yeah, this is beautiful. Well, and also I think it's important when you're talking about a launch, a big part of it is showing off the hardware. And on the music side, really once we got to the inclusion of Redbook Audio, the idea that you could have CD quality wave files being played mm-hmm. it was such a game changer and arguably um maybe the most significant uh technical advancement in video games when it comes to audio i would agree i mean if you think about the level of immersion and atmosphere you know having this <laughs> playing while you're flying around shooting and with this dragon i mean oh my god just really puts you there right i mean i think it's something that honestly video games maybe even have yet to catch up to only in the recent years has the actual game experience been able to match the quality of like i mean the orchestra that's a real orchestra there's not like it's not emulating an orchestra the way that video games visuals and mechanics have to emulate real life so i think it's like there there was a little bit of an era i think of transition where certain composers that maybe cut their teeth working in chip music suddenly had to learn how to you know produce video game soundtracks and we've talked a lot about some of the saccharine you know cheesy 90s production that we hear in so many old video games but i mean the ability to go from where games were to a piece of music like this that is indistinguishable from something you'd hear in an anime or a film um, it, I mean, that's such an incredible achievement. And I think yeah. at this point, the, um, the only advancements that w- really were left to develop when it comes to game audio had to do more with under the how hood programming used. and the utilization of and music. And maybe also how with, with, uh, the advancement of technology and, and how inexpensive things got, I mean, how much real music you could have in a game. Right. And just video game budgets doubling, tripling, quadrupling, becoming a giant mass media. Well, guys, let's move on to the PS2 and let's play a launch title for that system. Um, I would say musically, my favorite launch title for the PS2 was Street Fighter EX3. Has a great score. A lot of different talented composers worked on this score, one of which was Yasuhisa Watanabe, who I'm a big fan of, a really interesting kind of bold fusion composer. And this was one of his compositions. It's Harem Beat from EX3. Let's check it out.
You guys are listening to Harem Beat or Harem Beat from Street Fighter EX3. Really funky and different, kind of difficult piece of music here, composed by Yasuhisa Watanabe. We had a slight spotlight uh, years ago on a Mercado Radio, where we played quite a bit uh, from this composer. Yeah, this is this is really cool. It's like I said, it's very challenging. It reminds me of modern jazz fusion, kind of brainy. Uh, just so many changes happening, whether it's meters or or key changes. It's uh, it's it's pretty crazy. It's interesting that this is now where we're at at, at this time uh, for the Street Fighter series musically. You know, kind of a, I think a tragic thing, um, and I think it's indicative of a lot of things at where we are today in terms of our media and, and culture is that with. As the tools become more universal and access to them becomes more prevalent, which is, I mean, I think self-evidently a great thing, it does take away from that sense of unity and cohesion of everyone being on the same page um, that I imagine, you know, if you just look at like popular music in America in the 60s and 70s and 80s, there were such specific identifiable trends that you could observe and feel like everyone in the country at this time knows this song and this artist and this movie, where now we've gotten to a point where everyone can kind of get into their own little subgenre and find exactly what they like. And I think when it comes to video game music, that's sort of where we're at, that every game, like you can have a composer who works in film you can have someone who's a classical composer you can have a jazz mm-hmm. fusion to, anything that you want in your game you can have be the soundtrack and right. while that's amazing it does almost mark sort of the end of the video game music as its own genre tradition being inextricable from the development of games in the way that it is interesting to hear that there's obviously starting maybe around this era there's a good and a bad for that. I mean, there's right. definitely something that you're starting to lose and there's something you're starting to gain as well. Um, this piece of music wouldn't have been possible even on the PS1. And so, yeah, it's it's really exciting. I mean, thinking about some of the the other fusion scores in in this series, I mean, this particular track at least, it's one of the most complex um, that I've heard in the series, and I, I'm a really big fan of it. Watanabe, what an interesting composer. Yeah. Well, let's move on. We couldn't move on to something more different than that. This is the GameCube, and let's play something from a launch title on the GameCube, Luigi's Mansion, composed by Kazumi Tataka. Let's play a quirky, funny, yet funky piece of music. This is Professor E. Gad's Lab. <laughs> Thank you. 
so fun. You guys are listening to Professor E. Gad's Lab from Luigi's Mansion. We haven't played this on the pod before. It's long overdue. This is composed by Kazumi Tataka. Oh, his music is so charming. Um, yeah, I um, never actually got around to playing very much of Luigi's Mansion for the GameCube. I got a GameCube around the time when Sunshine came out, and so I was really distracted by that for a while never went back but me and joe had a great time playing luigi's mansion 3 for the switch and um yeah we absolutely adored that game and it would be fun to go back i really want to play i want to play 3 because i loved the second game on the 3ds dark moon you'll love 3 3 is an amazing game i so admire kazumi tataka i mean i think he he's one of the most melodic video game composers of all time he's written so many iconic memorable pieces of music and he's such a a chameleon in a sense that he sort His of music loses has so much himself in the intention and so often it's it's very comedic so much of his music is very it's able to be earnest and tongue-in-cheek at the same time which Mm -hmm. i it's like it's i feel like it's earnest because he does put a lot of intention and these melodies are beautiful but it's tongue-in-cheek because so often the presentation is quirky or in a pastiche style you know what i love about this particular track is it's a great example of how unique kazumi tataka is and how many different things he's trying to accomplish in one piece of music the melody of this it's trying to be creepy and almost like campy horror cliche kind of a vibe. Mm-hmm. But the beat that you have, that really funky kind of synth bass with the the simple yet funky drum beat, it's a really interesting mixture. It feels modern, especially for the time. This GameCube coming out in 2001, I believe. It feels modern, but it also feels like it's a pastiche to like much older music. Right. It's just really unique. Well, and something I've never heard anybody mention, I feel like this character of Professor E. Gad in this particular track is like a direct inspiration for that scientist character in Breath of the Wild, that like oh, old sure. lady yeah. who's been transformed I into a child. That. And the music, I feel like, in her laboratory sounds like a Kazumi Tataka yeah. kind of a thing. That's interesting. Um, there's a certain... I, I think he's... And I, I was talking about it with Tanaka. I think Tanaka and Totaka, both of them, I think, <laughs> are hugely a part of some of the quirkier elements of Nintendo music and that yeah. sort of style. And there's so much of that that I really admire, particularly the fact that I think both of them, they never waste... A piece of music like if they're doing something that's intentionally supposed to sound silly it's never a throwaway piece it's always something with like a great underlying melody and i think that's what makes it funny because you can tell there's competent musicianship behind it and that's what makes the parody better um where i think it's like if if something is just haphazardly done there's not the sense that you're in good hands necessarily. Well, also, it surprises you too. I mean, it's not that surprising just to have a completely silly, goofy, zany piece of music. Like, it's not necessarily that surprising. But the elements that come together in those two composers' music that you mentioned, I think they a lot, right. a lot of times they often surprise and, you. Yeah, a big part is humor. I mean, to make to make you laugh, I think it it takes a little bit more than just surface level silliness. I think there has to be something humorous in a melody itself. Yep. And I think this particular melody is just it does everything that you'd want to characterize Luigi's Mansion. It's nervous and scared and horror cliche, but it's also mm-hmm. kind of bumbling and non-threatening like the character of Luigi. 
Well, let's go back to the Super Nintendo and play maybe the best launch game ever. <laughs> this is Super Mario World. Let's take a listen to the athletic theme composed by Koji Kondo. absolutely legendary the launch of the super nintendo for me musically cannot be touched uh phenomenal the five games that we had for the launch at least in north america we had super mario world pilot wings f-zero sim city and gradius 3 yeah all phenomenal soundtracks all great beloved games that that just didn't happen ever before right. or after <laughs> That's a really good point. Insane. Yeah, this soundtrack is, what can we say about it? It's just perfect. I mean, like, I think all of Koji Kondo's work in the Mario series, it's just It's the perfect ushering in of this new technology, this yeah. new generation. It, it, it sounds like Mario music. It sounds comforting. We, we know this world. We know this character. And we're right at home. We haven't missed a beat. Well, and this is also the first time in the series that it's sort of coalesced into what would become a tradition of having a really, yeah. you know, pure and perfect main melody that Theme would be arranged in these different pastiche styles in such a fun way. Um, mm -hmm. And this one is taking that main overworld theme and doing it in a ragtime almost stride piano kind of style and what i so love about the confidence of this piece of music particularly is that introductory section that doesn't utilize that melody right i mean even talking about that little stinger at right. the beginning oh yeah. my god that just i mean gets he is the master going. of that kind of stuff of writing these very odd but memorable you know dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 yep. dun, dun, dun. Like who else would come up with that? He's the it's intro so classic, king. but it's very strange too. Um, and, and another thing I love about that intro, first of all, it captures the sort of uh, stride left hand. It also starts the piece off on a little bit of a frantic note, which is right. perfect for these <laughs> athletic stages. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, th that's a good point, Carl. Like that intro is almost kind of like his. Da -da 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 like it has this like you better start moving fast another thing that i love though is the use of subtleties of volume and velocity on that intro mm. that not every note attack is at the same volume and it gives it like a performed quality you know it's not it's that's a great point he's like emphasizing and accenting certain notes much like a real pianist would you can tell that he he took time to make that part feel performed glad you brought that up yeah those are things that are easily to gloss over it feels so so good so natural well we're don't have, we don't have time to play something from f-zero uh one of the other amazing launch games for the super nintendo however uh, 
Let's play something later on in the series. This is a launch game for the Game Boy Advance. It's F-Zero Maximum Velocity. Glad the series still made it today. Uh, let's, let's play Bianca City, which is just a banger. I love this tune. This score was composed by Naoto Oshida, who worked on the original, as well as Masaru Tajima and Mitsutero Furukawa. guys are listening to an absolutely classic piece of VGM right here. It's Bianca City from F-Zero Maximum Velocity. It's just too good. We have Ishida, Tajima, and Furukawa. And if anybody knows of any like kind of killer live band cover of this, please send it my way. Because this is a classic. It rocks so hard. Yeah. Well, I was saying to Carl, this is like Nintendo going to Capcom and being like, let me show you how it's done. Because it's <laughs> Hold just my beer. so freaking, yeah, it's so good. So confident, incredibly rocking, but very melodic. These harmonized guitars. It's, and how it's good does this sound for the GBA? Um, I mean, awesome. one of the coolest elements of this, which adds, uh, a, we talked about a frantic nature of the last track. It adds a frantic, futuristic driving nature to this track is those yeah, ascending that, kind like, of PSG futuristic arpeggios. I wonder what a live band would do for that. I wonder if that would be like a keyboard or, or how you'd approach that. But, oh, my God, that is a killer piece of music. Yeah, I'd say just map all those arpeggios to one key and someone just holds down, you know, an A, and then it just <laughs> keeps doing that for the whole song. <laughs> that would be convenient. Well, it's been long enough. Let's finally go back to the Pilot Wings series and play the other launch game for the N64, Pilot Wings 64. Composed by a fairly obscure figure for video games, this is Dan Hess. Don't really know much else about this composer other than uh, I've seen a lot of him, a lot of his replies and comments on YouTube, which is really fun. Uh, you know, f- people that post the Pilot Wing 64 soundtrack, he'll reply to people and say, oh, thanks for sharing my music. So don't really know much about this composer, but man, did he do a great job following in the footsteps of Soyo Oko, but also really doing something different. This is Birdman from Pilot Wing 64.
Will, when we were playing this, Will said, this is sexy, and it really, really is. This is Birdman from Pilot Wing 64, composed by Dan Hess. What he got out of the 64 was so impressive. I love that he approached this as this kind of jazz combo score. I mean, sometimes straight up funk, sometimes kind of jazz fusion. This track is, to me, a very clear love letter to Cool and the Gang, and particularly uh, their really <laughs> sexy tune, Summer Madness. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I really love his work on the score. It's, it's very soloistic, and it, it feels kind of spontaneous. And something like you're hearing this digital sample band that's playing this and also very relaxing i mean this is a very relaxing piece of music but definitely a slightly different vibe than the stuff right. we got in uh this snes well marty made a really good point a few weeks ago when we were talking about inside the castle walls from super mario 64 which is that one of the sort of brilliant things that koji did um when on mario 64 that really made it feel like the next generation musically was Mm -hmm. going for a style that they never would have attempted on the snes because technically it would have fallen a lot of these sounds are not that much better than something you could have gotten on the super nes and i think dan hess his music represents that as well they could have gone for a piece like this on the Super Nintendo, but it would have been a little bit more like, oh, that's cute. They're trying to do this, right? There's a, there's a quality to this that it makes it feel like the next generation. Not necessarily because it's technically impressive, but just because it's going for, um, I guess, a slightly more like adult kind of music. And really, the the way that they achieve that, you have more channels, um, a lot more sample channels here. And also, the samples are a little bit better, a little bit higher fidelity than what we got in the Super Nintendo. And so those two things coming together and Dan's incredibly authentic uh, jazz fusion funk kind of 70s approach. What I think approach, is interesting ooh, feels is so good. better maybe objectively, but subjectively, I think so much worse. Like I, I, I would <laughs> take the Super Nintendo over the N64 when it comes to sounds because there yeah. is that uncanny valley thing where I feel like um, and I don't think the N64 necessarily falls into the Uncanny Valley, but it's definitely a lot closer to it than the sort of compressed sounds of the SNES. Depends on the soundtrack, even that, to be honest Even with that you. Game Boy Advance thing that we just heard, there's something about hearing the compression, about hearing that <laughs> it's simplified like The crappier sound. the samples are, the more charming it, it can be. Well, the be. <laughs> more it becomes, it has. it's like this glue that gives it an identity where something like this, right. it, it kind of sounds like something you'd hear on like a 90s sitcom. Like it reminds me of the music from well, Seinfeld. It, you know, this is something that some scores in the PS1 and the N64 struggled with. It depends on the score, but there are some scores where you get awfully close to sounding like general MIDI and sometimes it can just feel a little bit cheesy mm-hmm. um, but yeah what a great score we actually will go back one more time to that series later uh, we're almost done but we, we have a few left here let's move on to finally a Microsoft system we're going to play a launch game for the Xbox let's play something from Halo Halo Combat Evolved composed by Martin O'Donnell and Michael Salvatore Let's play a mix uh, that I did. This is Rock Anthem Saving the World, but eventually it kind of mixes into a different uh, track. It's it's the same basic vamp and, and theme, um, but there's two different times in the soundtrack when this uh, is happening. So I kind of mixed them together a little bit. Let's take a listen to this from Halo.
so good. You guys are listening to a little bit of a mix of music from Halo Combat Evolved, starting with that rock anthem from Saving the World, eventually uh, mixing a little bit of the moments from Truth and Reconciliation Suite. Oh my god, this is such the a Halo cool music. score, such a cool piece of music. Trying to think of who, I'm not sure if I can find who that guitarist is. Right. He's just shredding on this. It might be I'll Michael Salvatore. I know that he's a great guitarist, and, and he their did contribute performance. Their to collaboration it. is really special because I think Marty had, I guess, probably a slightly more classical training and more of like an orchestral theory background. And Michael mm-hmm. Salvatore was more of a rock guy. And I really, did hear, at least for the their Gregorian singing, um, that Marty was one of the people that is actually singing that. I think Michael's also singing, and then a few other people are joining too, and then they kind of that's obviously awesome. added some reverb and stuff. But I I think that um, the, the combination of those elements works so well for the soundtrack. And, and something we've mentioned before, so much of the Halo music revolves around the Dorian mode. And what is so great and just fortunate about connotations that we have musically with the Dorian mode is it's able to evoke something very ancient and holy and also something kind of rocking and progressive simultaneously because it makes us think of uh, progressive rock from like the 1970s. Um, and so I think the combination of those two pre-existing connotations, but really coming to a head in this score, the blending of the orchestral and like the Carl mentioned, the vocal Gregorian chant-esque, it, it characterizes the vastness of space and the kind of ancient theocratic societies that you encounter in Halo, but also just the sort of badass rocking, shooting. I mean, this is like the prototypical first-person shooter for kind of the new generation. And I think the music and yeah, Halo it ushered is just... in so many new things that would become tradition for that genre. Right. Uh, the music was so exciting, and it's one of the things I will say that holds up maybe most. Yeah, about the I game. agree. I think Halo. What is so strong about it is the polish. It's a very polished game. The music, the sound design, the the kind of. I think some of the graphics at the time, um, but it's just very polished. The interface, the voice acting, it was really quite a few notches higher than what most people would have expected from video games at the time. The the budget and the production for the music was, I think, very ahead of its time, something that holds up incredibly well. I'm looking here. One interesting thing about Halo 2 that I didn't quite realize um, is Halo 2 does actually feature a couple of guest performances from guitarist Steve Vai. I don't see that on the first one. And then well, also a fun... Are you kidding fun, me? That's crazy. I know, I I'm know serious. That. And then another fun thing that I did not know about the Halo 2 soundtrack is it was produced partially by Nile Rodgers, the classic funk really? guitarist. And so that That's is crazy. very surprising. Nile Rodgers, Steve Vai, and then ultimately mm-hmm. Paul McCartney. Marty O'Donnell. I mean, he's had quite <laughs> quite the experience. Well, nice to have a little Halo spotlight there. Let's move on to wonderful composer Ryo Nagamatsu. Let's play something from the Wii U. Couldn't launch. be more different. <laughs> yeah, let's play something from Nintendo Land. Maybe the funnest game that ever came out for the Wii U. Yeah, let's take I a listen love to Nintendo Land. Title screen.
adorable. Title screen from Nintendo Land. There are two versions of this. Uh, on the soundtrack, there's one with more kind of sequenced-y uh, <laughs> instruments, and then uh, one that is chiptune. But yeah, Nagamatsu did a really great job of establishing like what could be a theme that really captures the heart and the spirit of Nintendo, of this company and its history. And boom, this is what he landed on. Yeah, it's... <sighs> It's so freaking good. Like, this would get the Koji Kondo Award for great melody. Uh, It's very simple, really iconic and catchy and memorable. Very nostalgic. Great chords. It reminds me of Soya Oka with the little sort of jazz touches in there. And I particularly love the bass line. What notes the bass accents that gives us the impression of some of these borrowed chords that's just juicy Mm. and delicious. And the combination of that incredibly simple, in many cases, one note melody, but with this really active and changing chord progression is part of something that I so love about music like this really melodic pure music with rich harmonies and that's what nintendo i can't think of a more perfect representation of yeah i mean it's it's such a success musically this game is incredibly fun and it was the true showcase um you know starting from a point probably of like some tech demos of like okay how can we showcase this hardware to the point of okay let's make a full-blown game of these different these mini games uh and there was nothing sadly nothing else on the wii u that was able to really showcase it and harness it quite like nintendo land and so yeah, the wii u and in many ways kind was of kind of tragic confidence and creativity that nintendo land had I and, remember and continuing in the footsteps of something like Wii Sports for the Wii. We didn't mention that. Right. That could have been something we played today. That was a Wii launch right. title. So kind of continuing in the footsteps of that. And everybody liked Wii Sports. That was really fun when it came out. But, I mean, to me, Nintendo Land is just worlds I'd better. I'd say underrated. I mean, it wasn't a pack-in. You had to buy the game. Or you could have gotten the... I remember getting the Wii bundle with Nintendo Land in it, the Wii U. See, I don't bundle. even remember that. I must have gotten that bundle, too, because for me, it came with it, so I yeah, just we I both, can't remember. We both got that bundle. It came in the black box. And then I also remember buying New Super Mario Bros. U was another launch game. Yeah, and we could have played something from that, but we decided not to. I wonder right. why. <laughs> Let's move on and play one more Pilot Wings track. And this is such a good piece of music. This is from Pilot Wings Resort, which was one of the launch games for the Nintendo 3DS. And so even more handheld music on today's episode. This is Glider. And to me, it has become just a classic series track and even a classic piece of VGM. We really said a lot of great things about it in our Smash Brothers episode. There's a wonderful remix. Um, This was originally composed by Asuka Ito. Let's take a listen to the very relaxing Glider. Thank you. 
outstanding, an absolute killer piece of music, very, very underrated. This is Glider from Pilot Wings Resort by the very talented Asuka Ito, and I'm reading that she's a Japanese-born, Los Angeles-based composer. That's really cool. Uh, she's known for her songs in the Smash Brothers series, uh, also worked in the Tamadachi Life game for the 3ds and obviously in pilot wings resort i'm gonna look into more of ito's music because this she is is great amazing this feels like dan hess meets soya oka like it's perfect for pilot wings it's relaxing it's kind of sexy but it has a slightly more melodic sensibility that reminds me of the older pilot wings games um this is mm. so strong i mean this fits at home with something like we sports resort or, you know, Kazumi Tataka, Ryo Nagamatsu, those great. And I was just remarking to Carl when we were listening to this. I so love Nintendo. I love Nintendo composers. <laughs> I love Nintendo music. There's a certain, I think, probably culture amongst its composers. But more, there's a quality of imagination, innocence, and excitement, and just sheer joy and fun that Nintendo games have that I think is just so inspiring to composers because there have been so many different composers and, you know, they're not all of the same quality and they don't all live in the same place and sometimes they're British or American or Japanese, but there's a certain quality of, like, a Nintendo game is just... There's a so spirit. much damn fun. There's a spirit that, to it. And yeah. and Ido is, is such a great example. This is not, for me, a household name. I really want to look into more of her music. Um, but yeah, it has the spirit that I've loved for years from so many other games and generations and in consoles. Uh, so I'm looking on here. Looks like uh, in, in addition to doing some work for the Smash Brothers series, uh, she's done some work for the Rhythm Heaven series as well. Uh, and then also a game style savvy trendsetters for the 3DS. So I'm going to look into all of that because this is just too good, man. Really good. Well, guys, we're going to play you out, and we can set it up a little bit and talk about it because we're a huge fan of this piece of music. We're going to play you out with Hateno Village from Breath of the Wild. Yes, it was a launch game. Pretty Such insane. A good one. Another I Zelda launch game for the Switch. For Ever since I've been able to purchase uh, consoles, I've gotten, you know midnight yeah. launches for Nintendo consoles. Oh, that was and I so remember exciting. you and I doing it for the Wii U. And then when the Switch was coming out, I remember thinking, because I was ultimately a little disappointed with the Wii U, thinking like, I'm not going to go to a midnight. And then I remember working that day and thinking like, oh, tonight's the day. Yeah. And I just, I bit the bullet and I'm like, screw it. I want to get a Switch. I want to play the new Zelda. So I went there, waited in line, and I ended up meeting my friend John, who that's um, right. I know he's on our Discord and he's come to some of our shows and stuff but i met him waiting in line for the uh switch midnight release and the, we bonded over talking about video game music and koji mm -hmm. kondo and all this stuff and i have so yeah, many great memories I mean, of playing this track Hateno village night. one of both of our favorite pieces of music in the score composed by the amazing yasuaki iwata i'm really hoping we hear some more iwata music soon uh, yeah. from maybe the sequel or whatever. I mean, who knows what's going to happen. He also did stuff. Did he... What are some of the other games? I think he worked on that ARMS, didn't he? Uh, he's worked... Yep, that's correct. He worked on ARMS. He worked on Smash Brothers Ultimate. Animal Crossing New Horizons features some some great music from him that you should definitely check out, Will. He he contributed to the Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Oh, yeah, um, that's right. He did as that well Dragon as theme. The, I think he was an original composer for Mario Kart 8, too. So I think there's yeah. some great stuff from Mario Kart 8. Um, and then 3D World. 
He was one of the people that contributed. Oh, that's true. Yeah, if we recall that. He's a great dude. Yeah, Hateno Village. Village. One it's of the so best beautiful. Themes in the game. Um, I love how long form it is. Uh, we're not going to be able to play all of it for you guys today, but I very, just very wish calming. they would have called this village Kakariko Village and call the other one Hateno because Kakariko yeah. doesn't really feel like Kakariko, and this one feels more like it gave me a. I remember getting to this village and this was the first point in the game where I'm like okay now it's a Zelda game like this music this the, oh, just yeah. all the people running around all the shops like this is oh, I love it's this such part. a beautiful moment and one of my favorite pieces of music it's cool going from that Kakariko his save track earlier in the playlist to to this the series has come a long way it's really guys this was really fun exploring launch games and they did feel like we were able to have a slightly different context and definitely compare these titles to each other in a yeah, fun hopefully. way for me nothing will ever come close to those super nintendo launch games i mean especially musically those are just untouchable i totally agree before we go i want to uh plug something of one of our of some of our friends um steven and brian kelly they recently released something super exciting uh, that yes. they've been working on for a long time uh they have been working on for several years um, developing a series of audio dramas um, that take place in this fantasy world called Threescapes, and they're finally ready to share it and release it with the world. Uh, and I've heard just a little bit of what they've done, and, you know, Stephen and Brian and I have been working together on that musical in the past year. Right. And one of the things that really made me want to work with them was listening to what they were doing with Threescapes. There's so many talented voice actors, a uh, great uh, composer, um, mm-hmm. uh, Dan Ren. I don't know if any of you guys might know him, but his music is fantastic. Uh, and the their stories and writing is just great. So I wanted to plug that. You can go to threescapes.com, and that's spelled out T-H-R-E-E and then scapes. Dot com, um, and you can Super probably find awesome their podcasts. Exciting. Yeah, it's thanks it's great for stuff. plugging that. That is really great. If you guys uh, missed it for some reason, uh, recently I released along with my buddy Carlos Downforce our concept album, putting you in the world of a racing game. You can check it out on our Bandcamp. Um, we've been tweeting about it and posting about it. So yeah. Um, there's a really well, fun you YouTube had video. A, you had a great track in there that kind of reminded me of that Bianca City with the harmonized guitars and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that Arctic track. All right, guys, this was so much fun. We're going to play you out with Ateno Village. We'll be back with you. We love you guys. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm Will Brueggemann. Have a great week, everybody. Peace out. <laughs>